So I get the privilege, come on up, hey, the privilege of introducing uh, Alaska's new associate superintendent for the Covenant Church. Uh, he's here with us speaking, and more importantly, this, everyone, is my best friend, Brian. <laughs> he's been a mentor, um, a friend for, good gosh, how long has it been? <laughs> Since almost 17 years. 17 years, yeah. I think. I was just so. doing the math as I was sitting there. <laughs> So um, it's my privilege to just introduce, introduce him to you guys, my new church family, and uh, allow him to share the word of God. Uh, he's a gifted preacher and uh, got a great heart for the Lord. And as you hear today through his message, you're going to hear how God has drawn him to his calling and to different places and different vocations. And so I just want to pray for him this morning. And yeah, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a good and gracious God. Um, God, I just want to pray for Brian right now. I just pray that you uh, would just give him your words of wisdom and just uh, bless us through him sharing your word with us this morning. And God, uh, just help it just take root in our hearts and our lives. And um, may we just give you the honor and glory in all we say or do. So bless us this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much to Jeff. And it is uh, an honor to be here this morning. I'm really excited to actually preach uh, to people instead of to uh, just a video camera in my house we have been doing church online just like the rest of you have for a while now and it has been so uh, hard to transition right for all of us for you at home listening and worshiping but also for us as the pastors uh, who are uh, oftentimes in our living rooms recording a sermon uh, just for our dog and our wife right or, or maybe for uh, and maybe being interrupted by our children who decide that they're going to wake up at noon for the first time, right in the middle of when you're preaching your sermon, or the dog sees a squirrel in the backyard, and then you have to start all over. This is the way it works right now during COVID. But one of the things that I, I want to speak to you this morning uh, that I've seen firsthand that I want to encourage you about is that even in the midst of this time, even in the midst of this season, uh, throughout America and around the world, that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, is advancing. It's advancing. That many things have been put on hold. Uh, for some of you, it feels like your careers have been put on hold, your plans for fun or for family or whatever it might be have been put on hold, but the good news of the gospel has not paused. It has not been put on hold. In fact, it's during times like this, during times of crisis, during times of struggle, during times of strife, that the gospel has advanced the most in history, and I'm convinced that it will continue to do that now and is doing that right now. People are finding the good news of Jesus, and I am grateful to be able to be a part of that, and I'm so grateful that I get to be here in Sumner uh, as, we, as we do that together uh, today. And, and so, uh, as, as Jeff said, I am the new associate superintendent of the Alaska Conference of the Evangelical Covenant Church, which is a whole lot of words— that simply means that uh, up until this point in my ministry life, I've been a pastor to, to a congregation, just like yours. But now I have an opportunity to be a pastor to pastors. Now I have an opportunity to partner with the 19 churches that are in the state of Alaska uh, that are part of our denomination and to help them uh, care for their people well, to help them dream up new ways that uh, they can uh, be innovative in advancing the gospel there in those places. And as you can imagine, uh, there are unique challenges to doing ministry in Alaska, and part of my job is to help um, come up with new ways that we can 
overcome those obstacles, that we can push forward, that we can bring the good news to some of the really remote regions. Uh, It's not easy to do ministry in a place that is only accessible via airplane or boat, uh, and sometimes even only accessible during certain times of the year. And so we believe that that ministry is vital, it's important, and we want to see a healthy, vibrant uh, church community in every single town in Alaska. Every single town in Alaska. Wouldn't that be amazing if God could do that? And I believe God will do that. And, and so you're going to be seeing more of me because you know, we come through Seattle as we, as we go through uh, throughout the United States, just raising awareness about what's God, what God is doing. And I hope that I'm invited back after this morning. And so, and so I'm just really excited about what that might look like in the future. And as Jeff said, we've known each other for a really long time. I think it's been 17 years. Uh, my daughter uh, is 18. She just graduated from, from high school. I think there's a picture of my family that we can put up. My wife, Jamie, is here with me this morning. And I have three children. Uh, my oldest, Peyton, just graduated from high school. And she was a, about a year old when Jeff and I first met, when, we, uh, when I hired him to be my intern uh, for student ministries in Eagle River, Alaska. And uh, so she's, uh, she's 18 and graduated from high school now. My son, Caden, is a giant. He's only 16. Uh, he's much bigger than me. Uh, I look like uh, really short in that picture, don't I? I don't know what happened. I think I'm shrinking as they grow. He's stealing the vitality out of me. And then our youngest, Antoine, is nine, and we are just really blessed uh, as a family and really excited about what God is doing as we move from Metro Detroit, where we planted a church uh, seven years ago called Life Church Livonia. It's part of our denomination. And now moving all the way across the country, four time zones away, uh, to start this new role uh, in Alaska. And so I want to spend some time this morning uh, not only sharing a little bit about our, our, our upcoming move and the way that God has moved us and moved in me to make that happen, uh, but also to, to talk a little bit about my call to ministry and, and, and the way that that has informed our life decisions, the way that it has transformed who we are as a married couple and, and where we've lived and what we've done. And, and my hope is that you wouldn't simply be entertained by the stories uh, there, God has done some incredible things, and they're amazing stories. My, my prayer is that you wouldn't just uh, be drawn in and, uh, and, and captivated by the stories of the biblical characters that we look at. My, my prayer, my hope is that you, this morning, whether you're at home, watching online, or whether you're sitting here today uh, in the sanctuary with us, that you would allow God to begin speaking to you about the places in your own story where he wants to move you where he wants to shift you, where he wants to challenge you and, and encourage you to, to, to step into something new or something different or something that uh, would allow him to use you right where you are at. I believe that every Christian is called to ministry. Every single person who calls Jesus Lord, who c- claims the name of Christ, I believe that every single one of them is called to ministry. And for myself, that has been fleshed out uh, as, my, as my vocation. Uh, my vocation is pastor. My job is pastor. But, but for you, uh, it, it could be a whole host of things. For you, your call to ministry may be fleshed out in your, in your own workplace, in whatever you do, and whatever your vocation has. Maybe your call to ministry is primarily being fleshed out within your home. Maybe it's, it's within your 
friends or your family members. Maybe it's, it's right here in Sumner as you walk down uh, Main Street and you visit people at different coffee shops and you, gro- you shop at the grocery store. I believe that all of us are called to ministry and where that ministry gets fleshed out is dependent on who you are and what God has gifted you to do. And so our job is, is, is to, 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 wherever we find ourselves today, wherever we find ourselves tomorrow, our call to ministry is ultimately an invitation to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. Every single day. No matter where you are, no matter what your situation, whether you're married or unmarried, whether you are young or old, this is our job. We don't get to decide where God will lead but we are given the opportunity to decide whether or not we will follow. We don't have an option to decide where God will lead. We don't get to determine where God will lead. We only uh, are given opportunities over and over again to decide whether or not we will follow. We get to decide whether or not we will be obedient to what it is that God's asking us to move into. In my own personal story, I first became aware that God was calling me into ministry and that there was something uh, happening inside of me when I was in high school. And uh, there was a, uh, I went to a church called Community Covenant Church in Lenexa, Kansas, it's where I grew up. And uh, the, a visiting missionary came to town. His name was Jerry Reed. And our church had brought him in to, to share stories of, uh, of what God was doing and to, to help support him and what he was doing. And I remember being captivated by his stories of the gospel being advanced. All these places that he'd lived and all these, these bold, amazing acts of obedience that he and his family had been a part of. And, and as, as he told those stories, I was just, uh, I was just all in, right? Just thinking, of, I was imagining, dreaming, I was putting myself in his shoes and, and imagining myself in, in these wild, exotic places, bringing the good news of Jesus. And, and as I sat there, I began, to, I began to believe, maybe this is what God's calling me to do. I never imagined that before. I was a shy uh, kid that, that did not love uh, crowds. I did not love being in front of people. I would get really nervous if I had to speak in front of people. And now I speak to thousands of people. Imagine what God can do. And I sat there listening to Jerry Reed and, and captivated by his stories, and I waited in line. It was mostly adults that were there. And I waited in line in the lobby afterwards to speak to him, to, to hear even more and to tell him, God was doing something in my heart while I listened to you, and I'm not sure what it was, but I think I might be uh, feeling a call to ministry. And so we began to, to talk at that time and, uh, about what it would look like to bring the gospel to the last and the least. And I had no idea what that would look like. And I believe I probably had a lot of uh, youthful naivety about what that was going to look like. And uh, more fanciful than faithful, right, in that moment. But God began something. And then you flash forward a few years later after college, and, and, and that, that call never went away. And, and I took a job as an intern at Arvada Covenant Church in Colorado. It's actually where I met my, my wife, Jamie. Her family attended that church, and, and I was doing an internship with youth and young adults, and uh, it, was, it was a really good opportunity for me to kind of flesh out what that call might look like, to say, God, is this really something you're, you're asking me to do as a vocation? All of us are called to ministry, but th- is this going to be my job? And, and so as part of that, that, uh, that call, part of that ministry, uh, every year we would take a large group of students down to Mexico uh, for a mission a service project. 
And uh, we went to, through Azusa Pacific University, and they did this thing called Mexicali. And, and like a thousand students at once would come down into this one kind of agricultural valley called the Mexicali Valley. And during the day, we would disperse all throughout that region, uh, sometimes driving as much as 20, 30 miles away from our base to do ministry in these little towns, these little uh, subsections of the city. And then at night, we would come back to uh, this base camp where there were uh, hundreds of tents set up, and we would sleep in this dusty field, and we would gather for worship. We would hear speakers to be encouraged. Uh, and and it, was, it was a really incredible experience for our students, but it was also an incredible experience for me as a leader. And, and one night when, when we were there, we were worshiping, and the speaker was speaking. Jamie, my, my not-yet-wife, was sitting next to me. I, I, I don't even know if we were actually dating at the time, but I know for sure I wanted to date her, right? And uh, we were sitting there, and we're worshiping, and the speaker is, is talking. And, and as he began to teach from one of the texts that we're going to look at today, um, he, he said, I believe with everything in me that there are people in the audience tonight, people listening tonight, that God has put a special calling on, and that God is inviting right now to stand up and make a public declaration about their intent to say yes to vocational ministry. He said, if that's you, and you feel like God is calling you to, to, to stand up and say, yes, I'm committing my life to this as a vocation, I want you to stand up right now. And friends, I had to stand. I had, I couldn't not stand. I had to get up and rise to my feet. In that moment, I didn't care if anyone else stood up, but I stood up in that moment. And it was a powerful moment for me as I said yes to God. And I remember afterwards, they, they said, if you're anywhere near those people, get up and put your hands on them and pray for them. And so it was my students that I was called to lead that were laying hands on me and commissioning and sending me to serve God as my vocation. The text that he spoke from that night was from Isaiah chapter 6. And I want to spend uh, some time there right now. And if you're not familiar with that particular section of scripture, uh, we, we pick up the, this story uh, as Isaiah uh, is, the prophet Isaiah is having his own miraculous encounter with God. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, I don't know what you expect when you come to church, but, but it's, it's typically not this for me, right? When, when, when Isaiah, he came to church that day, he came to the temple that day, and he, he didn't just hear a couple of songs and, and, a, and a sermon and then, and then had some coffee in the lobby and went home, although we're not even having coffee right now. Isaiah came to church that day, and he saw the Lord, high and exalted. And, and, the, and the train of just the hem of his robe, the, a portion of his garment filled the temple. That's what I'm talking about. That's the kind of church that, that I want to experience. That's the kind of moment with, with God that I long for in my personal time with the Lord, in my time of corporate worship with God. And I believe if we can get our hearts in the right place, we can begin to have similar experiences. In that space, there were angels encircling the throne, and they were crying out in worship. It says they were singing, Holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of 
of his glory. And in, in the midst of that incredible moment, uh, Isaiah became keenly aware of a deep need around him and a deep brokenness inside of him. Compared to the holiness of God, compared to the purity of God, compared to the, the, the majesty of God, he was like, who am I? He became deeply aware of how broken he was, of how, how sinful he was, and not only of himself, but of all the people of, around him. Listen to what he says in Isaiah 6, starting in verse 5. He says, woe to me. He says, woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then one of the seraphim, one of the angels, flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, and with it he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. I believe that this kind of experience is the beginning point for all calls to ministry. Whether it be vocational, or whether it be in your home, or whether it be in your workplace, or wherever it is that God is calling you as a follower of Him, this type of experience is the beginning point for all calls to ministry. A man or a woman... Uh, is met by God in profound ways. The, their, their needs are met, their sins are forgiven, uh, and, and then their eyes are opened up to the need around them. It's really two parts, right? It's a deep awareness of my own sin, of my own need for God, but then for, for Isaiah, it was two parts. It was, it was I'm also aware of the, of the need of the people around me. And this is my, my hope for you, and this is what I've experienced. It's what I was describing to you in, in high school when, I, when Jerry Reed spoke, and I, I was like, I think I might be called to ministry. It was, it was what was happening to me after college. And, and for all of you, whether you're here or whether you're online, my hope is that you will have at some point a, a spiritual moment where you meet God in a profound way, and you realize, I need you. I need you deeply. I want to be transformed by you. I want, to, I want to be something different than I am right now, and I can't even be in your presence until you do something about it. It's a spiritual awakening that allows you to begin a relationship with God. And Isaiah's uh, encounter in that moment made him deeply aware of his own sin, and it broke him. But here's the beautiful part of the story, is that God saw that and didn't leave him broken. He didn't leave him broken. He didn't make him wallow in the sin or walk away and, and dwell in the sin. He said, I'm going to do something about your sin and about your brokenness right now in this moment. He reached out with love. He reached out with compassion. And he met him in the exact place where he was most keenly feeling his sinfulness. He says, woe is me. I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips. And I live amongst a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the glory of the Lord. And God sends an angel with a coal to not touch his hands or his feet or, or for his head or his ears. The angel touches his lips. How good is our God to meet us in the exact place where we most need him to cleanse us, to remove the stain of our sin. And, he, and the angel said, your guilt has been taken away and your sin atoned for 
It is such an incredible example of God's love, God's compassion for all of us. And many of us, hopefully all of us here in this room, have at some point in our life had an experience with God where we become aware of our sin and God reaches out, touches us, we receive forgiveness and we, and we, we experience that, that love and compassion. Uh, and, I, and I think that, that most Christians, uh, most people that call themselves Christian have had some type of beautiful encounter like this, but, but there are many people that haven't had the next step of awakening, the next step of the spiritual kind of awareness of what is happening, the next type of transformative experience where you realize, yes, I need God, but this isn't just about me. It's not just about my own need for forgiveness, my own need for my sin uh, to be met by God's grace and by God's love. This is about God working in me, but then God working through me to help other people have that same type of experience. Isaiah said, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live, I live amongst the people of unclean lips. He said, it's not just me that's ruined, it's all of us. It's all of us that are ruined. And Isaiah had this, this type of spiritual perception that transcended his own experience, his own personal experience, his own personal needs, his own personal wants, uh, to include everyone that he knew. I'm sure he had people in mind when he said that, right? Everyone needs God. And God used that sensitivity for his glory. I want you to listen to what happened. In Isaiah 6, 8, it says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, here am I. Send me. When God said, I need people who are willing to follow. I need people who are willing to go. People who are willing to serve me. People who are willing to be obedient. Isaiah's hand shot into the air and he said, pick me. Pick me. And in many places in my life, this has been my story too. When Jerry Reed spoke to me in in the late 80s, the night that I stood up in Mexicali when that speaker called us all to do that, God said, whom shall I send? And I didn't know if anyone else would say yes, but I knew that I had to. Here am I. Send me. And honestly, I could never have predicted where that decision would take me and may, may have questioned my choices had I known. But in that moment, I knew that it was right. I knew that it was holy. I knew that I was called. But even today, 24 years later, I still have to stand up every single day and say those same words. Every single morning, I have to stand up and say, here I am, send me. I want you to hear this. Don't, don't, don't miss this moment. That every day I have to say that. Every day I have to wake up and make a decision, will I say, here I am, send me. Even after all these years, I can't forget that I serve at the pleasure and the will of the king. That every single day I'm given an opportunity to say yes once again. And it's easy to think that our decision to follow or serve Jesus is a one-time decision. 
that we had this moment, this experience back in, in vacation Bible school when, when we were a child or, or when we were an adult and we had, went to some revival or when uh, the pastor spoke some incredible moments and some incredible sermon, that, that we make a one-time decision to serve the Lord and that's it. And that we're, st- we're, we're in our spot, we're in our lane, and we stay in our lane for the rest of our life. And, and the, the truth is, yes, our salvation is secured when we give our life to Christ, right? When we say yes to Jesus and we call him Lord, that, that our eternity is determined by that act of declaring that he is our God when our sins are forgiven. But the path of, this, of discipleship, the path of the Jesus follower, is a daily invitation to take up our cross and follow him. It's a daily opportunity to, to be, get quiet enough to hear him say, uh, whom shall I send? It's not just a Mexicali experience or a Jerry Reed moment. It's in your morning devotional. It's when you're laying in bed at night, unable to sleep because of all the worries and all the cares that are going on around you. And if we get quiet enough and willing enough, we can hear God saying, whom shall I send? And in that moment, we have an opportunity to respond and say, here am I. Right here, Jesus. I'll go. Wherever you take me, whatever it looks like, I will go. At the beginning of this year, uh, God began to, to speak to me again. It, it became really clear that he was asking me if I was still willing to go. Are you still willing to go, Brian? Uh, and also became clear that I wasn't. I think it's really important as pastors for, for us to help you see that we're real people. That, that we don't uh, uh, suddenly declare that we're going to be a pastor and get our halo, right? Or our angelic wings that we struggle to. At the beginning of this year, God was, was saying, are you still willing to go? And it became clear that I, I wasn't. I had been sent, right? I had said yes. I had put down roots. I had planted a church. I had persisted through drought and storm and heartache. I had done the hardest ministry call that I'd ever done and started a church out of nothing in a community where I knew zero people. And this was where I'd been sent. I'd been obedient. I'd said, yes to God. Here I am. Send me to Livonia, Michigan that I didn't even know how to spell before I moved there. But God asked, are you still willing to go? And the answer was, well, maybe. <laughs> maybe. It depends, right? It depends, God. Uh, and my prayer time was filled with buts. But what about the people that I love, God? But, but what about the church that I planted? But what about my children and the fact that my daughter is just graduating from high school and my son is going into his junior year and my other son is in the perfect school for his special needs? God, but, but, but what about, what about, and I could, I could give you a laundry list of whatabouts. My prayer time was filled with buts. But what about my church, God? This will cause pain if I leave. I founded this church. And, and God said, whose church is it? Who's, whose church is it, Brian? Is it your church or is it my church? Is it dependent on you or is it dependent on me what did i call to you, you to what did you say yes to so many years ago and what am i asking you to say yes to every single day whom shall i send and i answer send me 
And I don't get to choose where. I don't get to choose when. I don't get to choose what. I just have an opportunity to decide whether or not I'm going to be obedient in that moment. The church is God's. He said, I called you to plant it, and I will sustain it. I will lead it. I will cause it to flourish in the days to come in ways that you would not even imagine. It's my church. And it was during this time that I kept returning over and over again to the book of Judges, and the story of Gideon. And we don't have time for me to read the entire story. I would love to read the whole thing to you uh, today. Uh, but I just want to share a few really important parts from his story. God's people were, were once again in a bad place. This is the, if you read the Old Testament, you'll find that it's really basically a list of God's people doing dumb things and God rescuing them. Uh, that's the whole Old Testament kind of summed up for you, right? Uh, God's favor, God's mercy, the people's uh, temporary obedience, and then their struggle, right? Over and over again. They find themselves in that place again, and they're being persecuted by a nation called the Midianites, and God sent a prophet to speak to them and to, to encourage them to, to begin to worship him again and turn from their ways, and they didn't do it. And then God sends an angelic messenger to meet with a guy named Gideon. Now, I don't know how many of you know Gideon's story, but there's parts of Gideon's story that I think that uh, go unnoticed, and, and I think in particular, it's how he, the story begins. That we pick up the story with Gideon, who's hiding. He's making wine in a secret place, hiding from the Midianites because he's afraid. He's afraid that they're going to come and steal his wine. True story. Read it. We go into the book of Judges, and we're like, oh, Gideon was definitely hiding while wine-making. And in Judges chapter 6, verse 12, it says this. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. In other translations, it says, The Lord is with you, courageous warrior. He was hiding from the Midianites, making wine that he was going to hoard for himself and his family. This does not sound like or feel like a courageous warrior, does it? And yet the, the angel says, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And, and Gideon's response shows you kind of where he was at mentally. He says, pardon me, Lord, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. I, I, pausing for a second, if, if God appears to you, it takes some serious courage to say, well, pardon me, pardon me, Lord, pardon me angelic messenger i have a few questions about you i have a few questions about god i have a few questions about this whole covid thing i have a few questions about this mask thing right and what's happening at the grocery store and the toilet paper crisis okay it doesn't feel like you're with us right now god i have a few questions about the the political landscape of america and all the struggles that we're in right now i have a few questions about what's happening in africa god and south america this is Gideon. Pardon me, my Lord, but if the Lord is with us, what's going on? Why is life so hard? Why am I struggling so much? He goes on, he says, pardon me, my Lord, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. Gideon's response to God was filled with buts. But Lord, what about this? Just like my prayer time, this, the beginning of this year, it was filled with excuses. 
filled with reasons why he was the wrong guy and the ways in which God was to blame for all of his struggles and all of his inadequacies. This was not a faith-filled response. It was a faithless response. And, and after that, he began to go through all of these, these different spiritual exercises, spiritual exercises, to determine whether or not this angelic messenger was actually from God. He does an offering that God then burns up. It's pretty clear this is God, right? And then he does this whole thing with fleeces. If You can go and read the story in Judges chapter 6 where he's like, if you really are God and you're really calling me to do this, I'm going to throw out this fleece. And if it's wet in the morning and the ground's dry, and then that, that's, God does it, but that's not enough for him. So then he's like, this time I want the, the fleece to be dry and the ground to be wet. I mean, he's playing games with God. He really is because he's afraid. He's still that same guy that was hiding in a corner of his little county making wine in secret so the Midianites didn't come and steal it. And, 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 and it's, it's unbelievable and, and it, that God still decided to use him. That God still decided to use him. Each time, God responded to Gideon's faithlessness by proving his faithfulness. How beautiful is that? Each time God responded to Gideon's faithlessness by proving his faithfulness. How many times has God done this for you? How many times has God done this for me? During the season of our life this winter, God knew that I was struggling with buts. With seasons of faithlessness to his call to say, whom shall I send? He knew that I was struggling uh, to say, here I am, send me anywhere. He knew that my here I am had become conditional on sending me where I was most comfortable. And even though I struggled to be faithful, his faithfulness endured. Now, I didn't intentionally throw out a, throw out a fleece like Gideon did. In fact, it never even occurred to me to put God to the test about what he was calling me to do. But God knew that I needed reassurance. And so guess what God did? He threw out fleeces for me. That's how much he loves me. In a, in a span of about two weeks, fleece after fleece got thrown out by God. Talked to my friend Curtis Ivanoff, who's the current superintendent of the Alaska Conference, who will be my boss. And after a conversation uh, a Thursday evening, realized that this job is literally custom designed for me. Not on purpose. They didn't, they didn't know even that I was going to be willing to apply when they wrote the job description, but the job description is me. It's me. And then as I was wrestling about whether I should do about that, I received a random Facebook message from a, a friend of mine from Alaska that I hadn't talked to in over a dozen years who tagged me on Facebook and said, I really miss doing Alaska ministry with you. And then, uh, just a, a few days later, I received an email from a woman named Sandy Gold, who Jeff and I did ministry with at Community Covenant in Eagle River. I hadn't talked to her in over a decade. She wrote me an email and said, I don't know what's going on, but you've been on my heart lately. I've been praying for you, and I miss doing ministry together in Alaska. Then I go to church that Sunday. I never get the mail. Uh, we have a person that takes care of the mail and disperses it, but that person was out of town that day, so they handed me a whole stack of mail right before I preached. <laughs> Here's the mail. And I'm, so I sift through it, and there's a card written to the P.O. box of our church from a woman named Sally Invidus, who I did ministry with in Alaska. I hadn't talked to her in over a decade. She looked up the P.O. box of our church online and wrote me a handwritten card to say, I've been praying for you. For some reason, you've been on my heart. 
and I'm missing the time we did ministry in Alaska together. I'm starting to think, maybe God wants me to move to Alaska. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? And then the kicker happened. Uh, uh, about a week later, I went to, this is pre-COVID, right? Right before the, all of the stuff kind of really hit. I went to this huge pastor's conference in, um, in Florida. And I uh, was supposed to have a roommate. I didn't. I had, really was blessed to have a room all to myself. And so I used that time to kind of be with the Lord. And one night I'm laying in bed and I'm praying and I'm, I'm wrestling with this. Like, hey, will I go? Would I be willing to leave it all behind again? And I, I said, God, I don't even know what it would be like to be a pastor to pastors instead of a pastor to the church. What would it be like on a Sunday morning to not be uh, the leader? And so I felt like that in that moment, God was giving me permission to dream. I don't know if you've ever had this before, where God was saying, just during your, during your prayer time, just dream about what that would look like. And as I did that, I had this vivid image, like a, like a video playing in my head of me uh, playing in a worship team and playing bass in that worship team. And I was really caught up in that, that image, and I'm leading worship, and no one even, I was kind of anonymous in the back, no one knew who I was. I was just playing a support role, right? And it was beautiful, and I loved it. And I, I got down with my prayer time, and I'm laying in bed, and I start to laugh. But it was kind of this bitter laugh, because I was like, God, you're pretty funny. I love to play the bass, but my bass got stolen like three years ago. My bass got stolen from the church supply closet, <laughs> They stole the pastor's base from the church closet, right? And so I went to bed that night thinking, oh, well, okay, thanks for that image, God. Didn't think anything of it. The next day I get up and I go to the conference, and my friend Don Earl introduces me to one of his mentors and friends who's from Florida, and he was an entrepreneur and had this beautiful hotel room at the Hyatt Regency across the way, and he said, come and hang out with us for the evening. Uh, we're going to watch basketball, I'll treat you to steak dinner, and we can just hang out and relax. I, I love loving on pastors. So we go over to his hotel room that night, and when, we're, when we, I get into this hotel suite, and I, we're talking and hanging out, and I look over in the corner of his room, and there's a bass guitar in his hotel room, and I said, is this hotel room so nice that it comes with a musical instrument? And he said, no, that's my travel bass. He said, I travel a lot, and so I, take, I get bored in my hotel room, and so I bring this bass with me wherever I go. And he's like, if you play, you're welcome to, to jam. And he got a little amp out, and I'm playing bass. And, and I said, oh, man, it's really good to play again. And he said, you don't play much anymore? And I said, well, no, I don't. I, I love playing, but I, my bass got stolen a couple of years ago out of the church closet. And he said, well, it's a good thing that bass is yours. I said, wait, what? what? He said, well, is that bass yours or is it not? And I said, well, I'm starting to think this bass is mine. <laughs> and that night I walked out of the Hyatt Regency with a bass without a case. Less than 24 hours after God had given me a vision of me anonymously standing in the back in Alaska playing the bass guitar in a band. And I had lamented the fact that I didn't own one anymore. How good is our God? How good is our God? When God says, whom shall I send? It's not our job to decide where. It's not our job to say, to decide what. It's not even our job to decide when. It's not our job to provide all the resources or even the plan, honestly. It's our job to say, yes. Here I am. Send me. And this morning, I have to wonder... Who will say yes in Sumner, Washington? 
Who will say yes at Faith Covenant Church? Who will say yes to, to being sent to their, their workplace, even socially distanced? Who will say yes to the phone call they know, they know they need to make this afternoon? Who will say yes to the conversation they need to have with their spouse or with their child? Who will say yes to the, the barista at the place that you go get your coffee every Sunday morning or every Monday afternoon? Who will say yes in Sumner, Washington? Who's ready to let go of the buts? Who's ready to let go of the, of the excuses? Who's ready to allow God to determine how God will use us today? I believe that God is still asking the same question that he's been asking for thousands of years since the moment he asked it of Isaiah, when, when, when God said, whom shall we send? Whom shall I send? God's asking you that today. Just like he asks me that every morning, every night. Whom shall I send? And the question is, how will we respond? How will you respond? At home, here in the congregation today, God says, whom shall I send? It doesn't matter what age you are, whether you're at home and you are 10 years old, or whether you are sitting here and feeling like all of your best years of ministry are behind you, God still says, whom shall I send? And it's our job to decide whether or not we will raise our hands, whether we'll stand up and say, here am I, send me. Let's pray. God, your faithfulness is so true. Even when we are faithful, even when we struggle, even when uh, we have fear and doubt and worry, even when we feel like there's not enough of us to go around or enough resources to accomplish the task or the mission, you are faithful in the midst of that, and we worship you because of it. Jesus, today here uh, in this building and with those who are at home, my prayer is that they would have a miraculous encounter with you. That it would be as if you are in the room, the train of your robe filling our living rooms or our bedrooms or this sanctuary with your glory. That it would be as if the angels are crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with your glory. And that in this moment, in this place, that we would be deeply aware of our need for you. That we would cry out to you and that you would respond to that cry. That you would heal us, that you would forgive us, that you would purify us, that you would cleanse us from all the guilt of our unrighteousness and you would make us yours. I pray that, that happens right now, all over. But I also pray, God, that you would lead us into that next place where we become aware not just of our own brokenness but of the need in our community for you. And that we would get still enough and quiet enough to hear you say, whom shall I send? And if that's you at home or if that's you here in this room right now, even in just this moment of prayer, I encourage you right now, challenge you respond to that call by opening your hands, lifting up your hearts and saying, here I am.